0: I I don't O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of His kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Mishpochah. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. Today is Wednesday, May 26th. Journey with me through the entire Bible in one year, focusing on the Biblical calendar, the Sabbath... The feasts and the Torah reading cycle. We have many voices, interpretations, and points of view out there, but there is nothing like listening to the crystal clean, pure word of God in your life. It is living water for your spirit, as it is written in Romans ten, seventeen. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. When we listen to the spoken word of God, it is living and powerful, and sharper than any two edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Hebrews 4.12 The Word of God is alive, it is powerful, and it renews our mind and builds up our spirit. Now let's continue our journey through the entire Bible in one year. This week we are reading from the Israel Bible for the Hebrew Scriptures, and from the king james for the bread hadashah today we continue the torah portion berachah and it means in your going up numbers 10 16 to 36 and in the command of the tribal troop of zebulun Eliab, son of Helon. Then the Mishkan would be taken apart, and the Gershonites and the Merarites who carried the Mishkan would set out. The next standard to set out, troop by troop, was the division of Reuben. In command of its troop was Elitzer, son of Shadur, the command of the tribal troop of Shimon, Shalomiel, and of Zerishaddai and in command of the tribal troop of Gad, Alyasah, son of Duel. Then the Kohathites, who carried the sacred objects, would set out, and by the time they arrived, the Mishkan would be set up again. The next standard to set out, troop by troop, was the division of Ephraim. In command of its troop was Elishama, son of Amihud. In command of the tribal troop of Manasseh, Gamliel, son of Pethurza, and in command of the tribal troop of Benjamin, Avidan, son of Gideonai. Then, as the rear guard of all the divisions, the standard of the division of Dan would set out, troop by troop. In command of its troop was Echiezer, son of Amishadai. In command of the tribal troop of Asher, Pagiel, son of Okron, and in command of the tribal troop of Naphtali, Akira, son of Enon. Such was the order of march of the Israelites as they marched troop by troop. Moses said to Hobab, son of Rule of the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, We are setting out for the place of which Hashem has said, I will give it to you. Come with us and we will be generous with you, for Hashem has promised to be generous to Israel. I will not go, he replied to him, but will return to my native land. He said, Please do not leave us, inasmuch as you know where we should camp in the wilderness and can be our guide. So if you come with us, we will extend to you the same bounty that Hashem grants us. They marched from the mountain of Hashem a distance of three days. The ark traveled in front of them on that three-day journey to seek out a resting place for them, and Hashem's cloud kept above them by day as they moved on from camp. When the ark was to set out, Moses would say, Advance Hashem, may your enemies be scattered, and may your foes flee before you. And when it halted, He would say, Return, Hashem, you who are Israel's myriads of thousands. Second Samuel, nine one to eleven twenty seven. David inquired. Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul with whom I can keep faith for the sake of Jonathan? There was a servant of the house of Saul named Ziba, and they summoned him to David. Are you Ziba? the king asked him. Yes, sir, he replied. The king continued, Is there anyone at all left of the house of Saul with whom I can keep faith as pledged before Hashem? Ziba answered the king, Yes, there is still a son of Jonathan whose feet are crippled. Where is he? the king asked. And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Maker, son of Amiel, of Lodabar. King David had him brought from the house of Maker, son of Amiel, at Lodabar. And when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, he flung himself on his face and prostrated himself. David said, Mephibosheth, and he replied, At your service, sir. David said to him, Don't be afraid, for I will keep faith with you for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will give you back all the land of your grandfather Saul. Moreover, you shall always eat at my table. Mephibosheth prostrated himself again and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog like me? The king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I give to your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and to his entire family. You and your sons and your slaves shall farm the land for him, and shall bring in the yield to provide food for your master's grandson to live on. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty slaves. Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do just as my lord the king has commanded him. Mephibosheth shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household worked for Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate regularly at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. Sometime afterward, the king of Ammon died, and his son Hanan succeeded him as king. David said, I will keep faith with Hanan, son of Nahash, just as his father kept faith with me. He sent his courtiers with a message of condolence to him over his father. But when David's courtiers came to the land of Ammon, the Ammonite officials said to their lord Hanan, Do you think David is really honoring your father just because he sent you men with condolences? Why, David has sent his courtiers to you to explore and spy out the city and to overthrow it. So Hanan seized David's courtiers, clipped off one side of their beards and cut away half of their garments at the buttocks and sent them off. When David was told of this, he dispatched men to meet them but the men were greatly embarrassed, and the king gave orders, Stop in Jericho until your beards grow back. Then you can return. The Ammonites realized that they had incurred the wrath of David. So the Ammonites sent agents and hired Arameans of Beth Rehob and Arameans of Zobah, 20,000 foot soldiers, the king of Mecca, with 1,000 men and 12,000 men from Tob. On learning this, David sent out Joab and the whole army, including the professional fighters. The Ammonites marched out and took up their battle position at the entrance of the gate, while the Arameans of Zobah and Rehob and the men of Tob and Mekah took their stand separately in the open. Joab saw that there was a battle line against him both front and rear, So he made a selection from all the picked men of Israel and arrayed them against the Arameans. And the rest of the troops he put under command of his brother Abishai and arrayed them against the Ammonites. Joab said, If the Arameans prove too strong for me, you come to my aid. And if the Ammonites prove too strong for you, I will come to your aid. Let us be strong and resolute for the sake of our people, and the land of our God, and Hashem will do what he deems right. Joab and the troops with him marched into battle against the Arameans who fled before him. And when the Ammonites saw that the Arameans had fled, they fled before Abishai and withdrew into the city. So Joab broke off the attack against the Ammonites and went to Jerusalem. When the Arameans saw that they had been routed by Israel, they regrouped their forces. Hadadezer sent for and brought out the Arameans from across the Euphrates. They came to Helam, led by Shobak, Hadadezer's army commander. David was informed of it. He assembled all Israel, crossed the Jordan, and came to Helam. The Arameans drew up their forces against David and attacked him. But the Arameans were put to flight by Israel. David killed 700 Aramean charioteers and 40,000 horsemen. He also struck down Shobach, Hadadezer's army commander who died there. And when all the vassal kings of Hadadezer saw that they had been routed by Israel, they submitted to Israel and became their vassals. And the Arameans were afraid to help the Ammonites any more. At the turn of the year, the season when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab with his officers and all Israel with him, and they devastated Ammon and besieged Rabbah, and David remained in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon, David rose from his couch and strolled on the roof of the royal palace, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful and the king sent someone to make inquiries about the woman. He reported, She is Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam and wife of Uriah the Hittite. David sent messengers to fetch her, and she came to him and he lay with her. She had just purified herself after her period, and she went back home. The woman conceived, and she sent word to David, I am pregnant. Thereupon David sent a message to Joab, Send Uriah the Hittite to me. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab and the troops were faring and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and bathe your feet. When Uriah left the royal palace, a present from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the entrance of the royal palace, along with the other officers of his lord, and did not go down to his house. When David was told that Uriah had not gone down to his house, he said to Uriah, You just came from a journey. Why didn't you go down to your house? Uriah answered David, The ark and Israel and Yehudah are located at Sukkot, and my master Joab and your master's men are camped in the open. How can I go home and eat and drink and sleep with my wife as you live by your very life? I will not do this. David said to Uriah, Stay here today also, and tomorrow I will send you off. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day. The next day David summoned him, and he ate and drank with him until he got him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep in the same place with his lord's officers he did not go down to his home. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab, which he sent with Uriah. He wrote in the letter as follows, Place Uriah in the front line where the fighting is fiercest, then fall back, so that he may be killed. So when Joab was besieging the city, he stationed Uriah at the point where he knew that there were able warriors. The men of the city sallied around out and attacked Joab, and some of David's officers among the troops fell. Uriah the Hittite was among those who died. Joab sent a full report of the battle to David. He instructed the messenger as follows, When you finish reporting to the king all about the battle, the king may get angry and say to you, Why did you come so close to the city to attack it? Didn't you know that they would shoot from the wall? Who struck down Abimelech, son of Jerobabish? Was it not a woman who dropped an upper millstone on him from the wall at Thebes, from which he died? Why did you come so close to the wall? Then say, Your servant Uriah the Hittite was among those killed. The messenger set out. He came and told David all that Joab had sent him to say. The messenger said to David, First, the men prevailed against us and sallied out against us in the open. Then we drove them back up to the entrance to the gate. But the archers shot at your men from the wall, and some of your majesty's men fell. Your servant Uriah the Hittite also fell. Whereupon David said to the messenger, Give Joab this message. Do not be distressed about the matter. The sword always takes its toll. Press your attack on the city and destroy it. Encourage him. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband, Uriah, was dead, she lamented over her husband. After the period of mourning was over, David sent and had her brought into his palace. She became his wife, and she bore him a son. John 15, 1-27 I, Yeshua, am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that bears not fruit he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken to you, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me, and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done to you. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and I abide in his love. These things have I spoken to you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for the brethren. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant does not know what his master does, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known to you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you, that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, that you love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, The servant is not greater than his master. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my sayings, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do to you, For my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not sinned but now they have both seen and hated both me and my father but this comes to pass that the word might be fulfilled that it is that is written in their torah they hated me without a cause but when the comforter is come whom i will send to you from the father even the spirit of truth which proceeds from the father he shall testify of me and you also shall bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Psalm 119, 49-64 Remember the word unto your Lord's servant, upon which you have caused me to hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, for your word has quickened me. The proud have had me greatly in derision, Yet have I not declined from your Torah. I remembered your judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. Horror has taken hold upon me because of the wicked that forsake your Torah. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. I have remembered your name, O Lord, in the night, and have kept your Torah. This I had because I kept your precepts. You are my portion, O Yahweh. I have said that I would keep your words. I entreated your favor with my whole heart. Be merciful unto me according to your word. I thought on my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. I made haste and delayed not to keep your commandments. The bands of the wicked have robbed me, but I have not forgotten your Torah. At midnight I will rise to give thanks to you because of your righteous judgments. I am a companion of all them that fear you and of them that keep your precepts. The earth, O Yahweh, is full of your mercy. Teach me your statutes. Proverbs 16, 1-3 the preparations of the heart in man, and the answer of the tongue, is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. Commit your works unto the Lord, and your thoughts shall be established. I want to speak to you today from Numbers chapter 10, and then we will look at Second Samuel. 9 through 11. And in this chapter, we are wrapping up the protocol and the procedure on breaking up camp. So we have 12 tribes, all positioned in a basically a square around the Mishkan, the tabernacle. Three tribes on the east, and they would break up camp first three tribes on the south. They were next, sort of like a clock, going in clockwise uh, direction. And then three camps on the west. They would be the third group to break up camp. And then the three tribes to the north, and then they would break up camp. They would follow the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. If the cloud was parked for four days, they'd stay there four days. If the cloud was parked there for a month, they would stay at that place for a month. And if it only stayed for one day, whenever it moved, the camp would follow, the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Now, it goes into great detail in this chapter about the procedure for who, who leads out and who brings up the rear. And it was all done in good order. It was also very uh, laid out very clearly which tribes of the Kohenim would carry the sacred parts of the tabernacle, the different, um, the ark and the different furniture in the holy place and in the most holy place. So I want to relate this to a future prophetic event. There is another greater exodus to come. So the Hebrews left Egypt long ago And the Lord delivered them, and he led them. But there's another greater exodus to come in the future. One passage of scripture that talks about this is in Isaiah chapter 4. Where it is written, we'll start with verse 2, In that day, and that's code. Whenever you hear the term in that day, it's talking about what day? the day of the Lord, the day when he shall return. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing for those of Israel who have escaped. Escaped what? The great tribulation. Verse 3, And it shall come to pass that he who is left in Zion, and remains in Jerusalem, will be called holy. Everyone who is recorded among the living in Jerusalem. When the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion, and purged the blood of Jerusalem from her midst, by the spirit of judgment, and by the spirit of burning, then Yahweh will create above every dwelling place of mount zion and above her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night for over all the glory there will be a covering and there will be a tabernacle for shade in the daytime from the heat for a place of refuge and for a shelter from storm and rain now notice this is all future tense The Lord will create. He will. There will be a tabernacle for shade. And what's he going to do? He's going to create above every dwelling place of Mount Zion, every assembly that meets in the wilderness, above her assemblies, plural, a cloud and smoke by day, and the shining of a flaming fire by night. He's going to do this again. This is going to happen again. Another time. There are many other passages in the scriptures that talk about this greater exodus to come. I'm going to show you two more and then we're going to move on. Deuteronomy chapter 30. This is the final words of Moses to the people before he's going to die, before they are about to cross the Jordan River and go into the promised land. And in a way, it's almost like Moses is looking down the corridor of time and he's speaking to a future generation. He's speaking to the last generation, the final generation, the generation that will see the return of Yeshua. And when Yeshua returns, initially, he's going to display himself as cloud by day and pillar of fire by night to all the different assemblies that meet in the wilderness. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 through 6. Now it shall come to pass, when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God drives you or scatters you, and you return to Yahweh your Elohim, and obey his voice according to all that I command you today, you and your children, with all your heart and with all your soul, that Yahweh your Elohim will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where Yahweh your Elohim has scattered you. If any of you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven, from there Yahweh your Elohim will gather you and from there he will bring you. Then Yahweh your Elohim will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. And Yahweh your Elohim will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love Yahweh your Elohim with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. So the Hebrews back then were right about to go into the promised land. And Moses is talking about when your descendants who have been scattered to all the nations of the earth are out there and they return to the Lord, their God, and they remember the Torah and come back to it, that there is a day coming that Yahweh is going to gather all of his people who are scattered to all the nations. So this is a uh, foundational passage that talks about the greater exodus to come. The last one I'm going to show you is Ezekiel chapter 20. Starting in verse 33. This very specifically talks about the greater exodus and is pretty detailed about it. Ezekiel 20, verse 33. As I live, says the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, and with fury poured out, I will rule over you. Now, that's code. Mighty hand and outstretched arm, that's code. That's Exodus talk. He used those words to describe the first Exodus. And again, this is speaking of the future. I will rule over you. Verse 34, I will, future tense, I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you are scattered with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, and with fury poured out. This is talking about the future exodus to come. Verse 35, and I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples And there I will plead my case with you face to face. Just as I pleaded my case with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so I will plead my case with you, says the Lord God. There is a direct comparison that this future event he's comparing to the first exodus of when they left Egypt. I will plead my case with you. Verse 37, I will make you pass under the rod and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. Verse 38, I will purge the rebels from among you and those who transgress against me. I will bring them out of the country where they dwell, but they shall not enter the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I'm going to stop there. Those are three key passages, and there are many, many others, that talk about the greater exodus to come. But I wanted to tie that into today's reading from Numbers 10, because it's given the whole protocol for how to set up camp, and how to break up camp. And you know what? One day, we're going to be following that protocol, again, during the greater second exodus to come. Now I want to jump into 2 Samuel. Chapters 9 through 11. And in chapter 10, we see that there is a battle going on with the Ammonites. And Joab, the commander of the armies of Israel, is fighting against them. And so... Verse 11, chapter 10, verse 11, Joab said, If the Arameans prove too strong for me, you come to my aid. And if the Ammonites prove too strong for you, I will come to your aid. Verse 12, Let us be strong and resolute for the sake of our people and the land of our God, and Hashem will do what he deems right. The Israel Bible commentary to this verse reads as follows. Joab instructs his soldiers in much the same way as today's soldiers of Israel are instructed. The soldiers must strengthen themselves to go into battle, fighting to protect the people of Israel and the cities of God. Hashem will respond by doing what is right in his eyes. Bog notes that in most cases God expects of humans to do their part and not to rely on a miracle. Once people do what is expected, Hashem may choose to provide miracles and redemption. Nowadays, this is a daily occurrence for the soldiers of the IDF, who strengthen themselves for battle and have often been rewarded by God with miracles. Now, in the next chapter, chapter 11, we see a huge moral failure of David's. David has an eye for women, and in particular, he sees a woman bathing. He's up on the roof while all of his men are out fighting the battle. First mistake. David was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Why wasn't he out in the battle with his men? What was he doing up on a rooftop at night, watching a woman bathe? Bathsheba. And so... In verse 4, David sent messengers to fetch her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. She had just purified herself after her period, and then she went home. So the Israel Bible commentary to this verse reads as follows. The incident of David and Bathsheba is quite difficult to understand. How could such a righteous king seemingly succumb to such behavior? The sages of the Talmud teach that while his actions were wrong, Technically speaking, King David did not commit adultery. The soldiers of ancient Israel's army were accustomed to grant their wives a conditional bill of divorce prior to going to battle, so that if they were captured or witnessing, their wives could remarry. Therefore, at the time of the sin, Bathsheba was technically not married. Yet, despite this technicality, the prophet Nathan tells King David he has sinned, And King David indeed repents. We are all expected to rise above what may be technically permitted and live completely moral lives. So David had a weakness, and his weakness was women. He had multiple wives. And so the other thing to consider, though, with David is that even though he had this huge moral failure, later on we will see as we continue reading, he is quick to repent. When he is confronted with his sin, he is quick to repent, to truly repent. So he was not perfect. He had a moral failure. And yet God says that he is a man after his own heart. So we try to follow Yeshua and make him pleased, uh, bless him by being obedient to him. And yet we're not perfect. There are times when we fail as well. And as long as we have a heart to repent, to go to the Lord, and we're quick to repent, and that means a change in behavior, Not just a change from the heart, but a change in behavior. That the behavior, the sin behavior, stops. That the word promises, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He simply needs us to be humble, be transparent, and tell the truth. Don't lie. Don't cover up. Don't make excuses. Just tell the truth. I am so thankful that when we repent, we have God's grace, His mercy, and His forgiveness. Have a blessed day. We'll see you tomorrow. Vish, Mareka, Yeh, Adonai, Anavilaka, Vikuneka.